The scripture reading for today's message comes from the 18th chapter of Luke, verses 9 through 14. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, for this your church, for these your people, for your word and for what you teach us as we read and study the scriptures. We pray that you open our hearts and minds to receive your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When those kids something, you know, and they, they've been here, you know, since 8 o'clock this morning, and they are ready to go. A lot of times they're like their preachers are. <laughs> they're ready to go. We're fastly approaching our commitment Sunday. When we joined the United Methodist Church, we promised, we took vows, that we would support the church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service. The General Conference added witness. I always considered that to be part of the, the other four, but anyway, they wanted to be, be sure we didn't miss anything, so they added witness. This is huge. This is who we are in the United Methodist Church. It means we don't just join the church so that we can say that we're members of First United Methodist Church in Heber Springs. It means what we do, we do for God. From coming to church, to tithing our income, to, to serving, to praying for one another, for caring for one another, to be involved in meaningful ministry to praying for God's guidance and everything that we do. I promise you, you ask Peyton Jarvis or any other, uh, anybody else in this church what it means to, to go to a church that, that allows you to volunteer in, in real quick. Peyton's not real shy anyway. She's not like her mama, uh, but, but she'll tell you pretty quick that it means an awful lot to her. It means an awful lot to the church. It means an awful lot to the conference. No one else does church like this. Just saying. Knowing that we... Can't do ministry on our own is the beginning of realizing that we need a Savior. I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, if I'm going to lead a disciple class, that if it's not God leading it, I can't do it. I know I can't. I, 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 I get that, regardless of how much I know or how much I've studied. If it's not God leading it, the same with preaching, the same with witnessing, the same with being your friend. Or your pastor. I know that. We, when we humble ourselves, we get in the presence of God. We, we get to the point to where we can say like Isaiah did. Here am I, Lord. Here am I. Send me. 
that's a dangerous thing because you never know what the Lord has in mind for you. But anyway, being humble about volunteering, I believe, is a wonderful way to do ministry. When the Lord leads the ministry, then, then it simply means that in, instead of us just being like Martha, that we also become like Mary. To be part of a ministry team that's making a difference for the kingdom of God. This is a church where everyone can be involved in ministry. As a matter of fact, if you have a ministry that's not on, um, I, I call it tabloid. I forget what Brandy's calling it now. It's not tabloid, but that's what I call it. Uh, so forgive me this morning. But anyway, the descriptions of all the ministries. If there's a ministry there, or not there, that you see that you want to do, if it wins, disciples, and serves, all you have to do, all you have to do is come to me, talk about your ministry. If it meets those three criteria, it's automatically approved. No finance, no trustees, no, no uh, council meeting and, and all that. It's automatically approved. Now, who do you think that I'm going to say leads that ministry? The person that brought it to me. I hadn't had a lot of that in the last 10 or 11 years. But, but anyway, you know, we come up with an idea. And boy, that'd be good for Natalie to do. Or Lynette. Lynette Powell, that'd be a good ministry for you. It didn't work that way around here. It just didn't work that way. Every one of us needs to be reminded constantly of our smallness and our greatness. Some days everything goes right. Some days everything goes wrong. Is that true or is that? Okay. Some days it's good morning, God. And other days it's good God, it's morning. <laughs> Every now and again, we wake up to the sunshine and blue sky. Your favorite shirt is clean. Traffic, well, we don't have a lot of traffic here in Hebrew Springs. I was late to work here. I don't know, Carolyn, it was a, a couple of years ago. There was two cars that was in front of me at this spot, at this at this stop sign right here on Morton Street. And I told him I was tied up in traffic. I just couldn't get here. Two cars in front of me. But, but anyway, the boss loves all your ideas at work. You finish early. You put on a pair of slacks and you realize that there was a $20 bill left in that the cleaners didn't get. But anyway, dinner is a culinary experience. Your spouse is feeling cuddly and your, your kids actually ask for your opinion. You go to bed after such a day convinced that you are truly blessed. A fine, upstanding human being worthy of praise. On the other hand, on the other hand, there are days that dawn and gloom and end in disaster. You spill coffee on your favorite shirt. Your car doesn't start. You finally arrive at work only to have all of your co-workers fussing at you. Everything you say and do all day long, the boss is on your back. The bank calls and says you're overdrawn again. You're late getting home, and so your dinner comes out of a pizza box, and it's cold. At home, everyone's fighting with everyone else. And on top of all that, your cat is missing. You go to bed after these days convinced that you're truly cursed, wretched, worthless human being. Fit only for a, a dung heap. Of course, nearly all of our days, all the days of our lives, fall somewhere in between these two extremes. And we're all thankful for that. 
a steady die to be the one would succeed in making us either very, very arrogant or very, very depressed. There's a dual quality to the human existence that is reflected in our experiences of good days and bad days. The remarkable Jewish theologian and mystic Martin Buber, he observed that our spiritual natures have two pockets. When we reach into one pocket, we pull out our smallness. We're nothing but dust and ashes. If we reach into our other spiritual pocket, however, we extract greatness. For the sake, for our sake, the universe was created. The complex twofold nature of humanity fills one pocket of a humbling stance before God who asks, you know, who are humans to you, O God, that you're even mindful of us? While our other pocket strains to contain the equal truth that God created human beings a little lower than the angels. There are a few things in life that are worse than being around a bunch of people that think they're better than everybody else. I hate that. I remember when I was in seminary how I felt one evening when I went to an event at a church. Yeah, when we was in seminary, we had to go to church. I didn't like it then and I, on, on Thursday night. And I told them I didn't like it, but they let me pick the church I was going to. And I went, and I, didn't, I sure enough didn't like it after I got there. Here's why. No one welcomed me. No one welcomed me at this huge church in Memphis. No one came up and said, it's good to see you. I was totally out of place. Now, remember, I was in seminary. In the ministry, in seminary, I was totally out of place. There were people there that treated me like I was invisible. I'm, I remember that feeling in my gut to this day. I was all by myself. And the sad part about it was I was a first-time visitor at that church. But there were people there that were very, very proud of their, of their accomplishments. Now, Tommy, how can you know that? You was there one night for about an hour longer than I wanted to be, so probably about an hour and 45 minutes. Because when I was walking down the, the atrium, I, I don't know if it's atrium for you or whatever you want to call it, long haul like we have over here. What? Yeah, out here. This was a great big long deal though and anyway narthex is what she said and she's right about that but but as i was walking down there they had plastered every other three feet church of the year outstanding church of the year so that's how i knew how proud that they were of their accomplishments you know what i did with those when we received those at cornerstone call stephen dickinson at cabot first united methodist church He's a senior pastor, and ask him, say, what, Tommy, have you do with those? The church never saw them, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. It looked like that this church was doing all the right things. They were certainly proud of themselves. They weren't like the rest of the world. You see, to them, they had arrived, and if you weren't part of their clique, listen to what I'm saying to y'all. If you weren't part of their clique, you wouldn't part. 
Jesus addressed this situation about folks who are really, really proud. Really, really proud of themselves. Of people who want everyone else to know their accomplishments. One day, two guys went up to the temple to pray. One of the guys was a very religious man. Make no mistake about it, he truly was. The other was a hated tax collector. Let me pause. What you have to understand is these tax collectors had sold out to the Roman government. They, they extracted taxes from, from their people, and part of the money they sent to Rome. So you have a very religious guy over here, and you had a hated tax collector. There was quite a contrast in lifestyles of these two men. One represented God, that was the, that was the Pharisee. The other represented Rome, that's the tax collector. Pharisee, a man with very religiously devout group in his, in, in his country. The Jewish law that they required that the faithful give 10% of their income from their crops and livestock to God's work. The Pharisee went beyond that. He gave 10% of all that he had. Baptist and Methodists would fight over this dude today. We really, really would. That's the kind of guy we want. I'm just saying. Saying what y'all are thinking. Jewish law required that the faithful fast or go without food for one day of the year. Uh, the week. This Pharisee did it two times a week. He was a religious overachiever. He stood at the front of the sanctuary, off to himself. He glanced around at other worshipers, and he eyed them with contempt. Just saying. Then he offered a prayer, which if translated into modern terminology would sound something like this. Oh, Lord, how thankful I am that I'm not loitering on some street corner. Uh, a no-count drug abuser, or living off welfare. I thank you that I'm not a homosexual or an abortionist or a New Ager or a Hollywood pagan. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're as perfect as I am. The Pharisee naturally stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. First of all, who's, the, who's this Pharisee praying to? Who's he praying to? I contend that he wasn't praying to God, and I'll give you a reason why here in just a minute. Can you imagine praying a prayer like that and actually expecting God to hear it? Sometimes we forget that God created all these folks. And I knew somebody did. That God created all these people. You know, the God that you and I pray to is a God that blessed Jacob and actually changed his name to Israel. Do y'all remember what Jacob did to his brother Esau? How he robbed him of his birthright? How his mama and, and Jacob put hair all over the old blind man, Isaac, so he would think that he was Esau? Boy, I'm glad I'm not like him. How about calling a young boy to become the second king of Israel? A man after God's own heart. A boy who grew up and committed adultery and murder. Boy, I'm glad I'm not like King David. 
Thank you, God, that I'm not like Jacob or David. How about the Pharisee saying he was glad he was not like Matthew, the tax collector? Thank you, God, I'm not like him. We must understand that God has used people throughout, different kinds of people throughout the Bible. How about Rahab the harlot? A person that lied about his wife, Abraham, calling her his sister to the Pharaoh and to Abimelech, the king. She was his half-sister. Let me, let me say that, but that wasn't what he was talking about. Look at Gideon, who was afraid of his own shadow, that God raised him up. The, the, the angel called him, you mighty man of valor. Oh, come on. A scaredy cat. He was hiding while he was thrashing wheat. I'm glad that I'm not good. Uh, and, and Solomon? I'm glad I'm not like Solomon who allowed his foreign wives to influence his worship of God. Who was the Pharisee praying to? He wasn't praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This religious dude was praying to himself because of all of his accomplishments. He made himself feel good about himself. It was all lip service. He looked good. The Pharisees, they dressed well. They could pray long prayers in the marketplace. He was way ahead of the game. How many people do you know that fast twice a week? If you hear me talking about fast, usually I'm talking about a car. <laughs> the tax collector, you can bet, didn't do that. How many people do you know that trust God enough to tie their income to the church? That's what I thought. The Pharisee did that too. This made him look even better. He fit in, in my opinion, not judging anybody, just fruit inspecting. You with me? A little fruit inspecting going on here. Jesus said we could do that. This dude fit right in with that church that I visited in Memphis. He would have been right at home. Proud people focus on the sins of others. Never forget that. Broken people know their own spiritual needs. Proud people need to prove they're right. Broken people are willing to yield the right to be right. Proud people claim their rights with a demanding spirit. Broken people yield rights with a meek spirit. Proud people desire to be served. Broken people are willing to serve others. Proud people have an attitude which says, the church sure is lucky that they have me. But broken people feel this way. I don't deserve to volunteer for any ministry in the church and know how good it is of God to include me. Proud people keep others at arm's length. Broken people are willing to be vulnerable and be close to others. Proud people have a hard time saying, I was wrong and I'm sorry. Broken people are quick to confess that they are genuinely repentant. Proud people in a conflict wait for the other person to apologize. Broken people take the initiative to reconcile regardless of who was at fault. Proud people don't believe they need revival. 
but they believe that all the rest of you do. Broken people continually sense their need for a fresh encounter with God. Proud people compare themselves to others and feel superior. Broken people compare themselves to the holiness of God and beg for mercy. The closer we get to God, the more broken we will be. Listen to what I'm telling you. The closer we get to God, the more broken we will be. For you see, only the broken folks can be filled with God's Spirit and used for God's purposes. God can fill only that person who has some available space. If we want revival to break out at First United Methodist Church and all over our community here in Hebrew Springs, we must first be beautifully broken for Jesus. The chaplain to the U.S. Senate, Lord Lloyd J. Ogilvy, recalls a woman who said to him, I've been a church member, and I noticed that, church member, for years, but it wasn't until my arrogant religiosity was broken by an unsolvable problem in a relationship with my son that I had to go back to the cross for grace to sustain me. When was the last time you grieved? Because your sin caused nails to pierce the holy flesh of Christ. When was the last time you admitted a fault to a Christian brother or sister and asked that person to pray for you? When was the last time you admitted your insufficiency to the one who is all-sufficient? When was the last time you shed a tear of awesome gratitude for the cross? So the Pharisee, pictured here as the epitome of religion and good works, no doubt about it. He has much to brag about. This guy belongs in the temple. If ever I've seen anybody that belonged in the temple, he did. And I'm convinced that he wasn't a hypocrite, he wasn't a liar, and there was no reason to believe that he was unusually proud or even a self-centered person. He's simply telling the truth. He was a good man. He was just. He is faithful to his vows. He is very conscientious about fulfilling his religious duties. He fasts, he dies. And what we can tell here in this parable, he went up and acted like he prayed. The tax collector knew that he couldn't compete with such religious deeds. All he did was stand away from the Pharisee and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He had enough guts to recognize his human condition. He didn't exalt himself. He wasn't trying to fool anyone. He wasn't trying to hide what was in his heart by telling all the religious things that he did because he knew that God knew his heart anyway. 
Maybe sometimes we try to hide what's in our heart. But who are we hiding it from? Again, thank you. Notice what he was doing. He was confessing his sins before God. He asked God for mercy because he was a sinner. It's when we're honest about ourselves that we allow God to do something in our lives that we can't do for ourselves. And that's to justify us. It's when we humble ourselves at the foot of the cross that we leave this place of worship justified. It's when we realize that we're to think more of others than we do ourselves like the scriptures teach us. When we try to outdo one another showing love and compassion for one another. And it's hard. It's hard if we'll be honest with ourselves for us to be humble. Humbling ourselves is something we're not real good at doing. It's when we believe that we're better than others that we pray to ourselves. And in my 11 years, I'm going on 11 years here, I have begged this church to listen to this right here. You're no better than anyone else. You're different, but not better. You're different. You and I are called to live our lives differently because you see, while we're in the world, we're not of the world. We're the church. Not better, but different. Thank, thank you, God, that I'm not like those other people. We can snub people who are not like us, but never believe that your opinion of yourself justifies you in the sight of God. Do I need to say that again? Never believe that the opinion of yourself justifies you in the sight of God. It's when we're honest enough with ourselves that we bow our heads and ask God to have mercy upon us. We're sinners and mean it, that we're justified in God's sight. Sometimes we think we're smarter, more educated, sing better, go to the best town, uh, church in town, and never admit to God what he already knows about us, that we're no better than anyone else is. It's when, we're, it's when we humble ourselves and lead this place of worship that we're justified. As long as we're proud and stand off to ourselves and thank God that we're not like other people. It's when we're proud of ourselves that it's when we're proud of ourselves, friends, that the poor remain poor. The oppressed remain oppressed. The lame stay lame and the lonely Stay lonely. This is not what Christ had in mind when he gave himself for the church. Just as Jesus humbled himself, you all remember that story, don't you? On the night that he was betrayed, how Jesus humbled himself, took out his outer robe, girded himself, with, and knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. You call me Master and Lord, and you are right, for that is who I am. So if I have humbled myself and washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. That's humility. That's being humble. That's having a servant's heart 
And that's what the Lord has called each and every person in his church today to become. It's not easy, but it's the right thing to do. Doesn't matter how many diplomas we have hanging on our walls or how many stained glass windows that we have in our church that matters or how beautiful the new building is. What matters is the fact that we become humble servants of God. When we do this, then we don't stand far off. And thank God that we're not like the other thugs that we're around every day. Even like the tax collector. Something for all of us to think about. Something for all of us to pray about and to work on. I hope and pray to God that you are studying that you are praying, and that you are talking to God about where he wants you to serve in 2020 with the Any Steps model of ministry. You want to make a difference for the kingdom? Submit your will to his and see what happens. Thanks be to God. Amen.